Hi, folks. Welcome back to the Big C Church Podcast, challenging conversations to better the body. Uh, we are in a series on what is the church. And so continuing that conversation today, my guest is John Moreland. Um, John, I uh, got to know him first because he's one of our doctor of ministry students. So um, I don't think he knew I was actually going to say this. He's an aspiring doctor. He's almost done. So um, he's one of my students, but um, he's also a colleague. He's director of the Urban Initiatives at Denver Seminary and um, a longtime pastor, uh, Was uh, preached his first sermon when he was 15 and ordained when he was 18. And I can tell you he's a little further beyond that those ages right now. Um, 21 now. You're 21, right. So you've been, yeah, uh, six years of preaching, three years of ministry. Yeah. Um, no, he's been a, a, a pastor, um, I believe Southern Baptist. Has it been all your life in Southern Baptist? Uh, loosely. Okay. Loosely, yeah. Ba Baptist-ic, Baptist-adjacent. Yes, definitely been Baptist all my life, but not necessarily in the Southern Baptist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so also serves our country. Is it uh, Air National Guard? Yes, I'm in the guard now. Yeah, Starting yeah. on active duty reserves now. Guard. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate your service for that. So, um, so these are the kind of conversations that John and I get to have on a regular basis in his office or mine or the student center at Denver Seminary. So, John, thanks for letting us hit record on on this one. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, uh, those of you who are not watching uh, or the video, which you can also see the podcast on video on YouTube, um, uh, John is. Uh, black, so he's a black preacher, black pastor, and um, has experience um, in white church and black church all across the spectrum. And so that's why I especially want to learn from him, from you, John, today. So, um, yeah. Oh, I appreciate it. Um, so uh, I'm just going to dive into the two questions I gave you. So from your understanding, what is the church? Yeah, I appreciate the question. I've thought long and hard about it, and I still don't know that I have a so. A just by you know, you're not the only one. Like it's it was surprising to me every time I ask this of people who have been in lifelong ministry. Yeah. How hard it really is to give a succinct answer to this question. Yeah. So you're not alone well, in your struggle. I was gonna say first of all, I'm relieved to know that I'm not the only one. Yeah. Who's kind no, of you're not alone. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You know, Angie. I think as I think about that question, right? We can. We can talk about the official answer, right? Yeah. Uh, most of us seminarians are going to say the church is the ecclesia. It's this. It's the gathering of the saints, right? It's yep. the coming together of, of a group of people. Uh, and it is that. But I think it's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think it is a, a place for to be shaped and formed theologically. I think it's a place for community, you know, to find other like-minded people, some of the things I say oftentimes is, you know, a group of people who laugh when you laugh and who cry when you cry. Yeah. I think it's that. I think the church is the outstretched arms of Jesus to finish the work that that he has begun in his earthly ministry uh, until he returns. Hmm. And I could I could probably go on and on with three or four more things, but I, I think it's all of those things. So how has your understanding been shaped over the years? Like you're 15, you preached your first sermon. I mean, you felt a call to ministry. And then I bet over time you started to understand this thing called church. Yeah, I uh, I felt a call to ministry when I was five years old. Oh, my you know, goodness. I tell people, there's two things I've, I've known my entire life that God had called me to do. One was to preach. The other was to be a police officer. Wow. Uh, you know, when I was five or six years old, I used to, I would preach to trees and cars. and Really? Yeah. 
Oh, we have a very large family, you know, so I'm the youngest of nine kids and the youngest of 94 grandkids. Wow. And so I, my cousins, you know, I, I preached to friends, I preached to anybody who would listen, you know. And so back then it was probably more of a, uh, a recounting, you know, or mimicking, if you will, of this. Uh, I hate to use this term, but I think it works well for the conversation we're having. This godlike figure, you know, in our local church, yeah. that people were just awestruck by. Um, and so it's probably more of a mimicking of that. And over the years, you know, as I got to know Jesus for myself, obviously it, it became something different, much more deep and much more personal for me. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of the long and short. Wow. Um, so you grew up in the church. I did. Um, I, I wish that meant all that, you know, it, it's supposed to mean. Uh, but yeah, I was born and raised in the church. Uh, I certainly have had my battles with life and, and flesh and humanity and seen some dark days. But yeah, there's never been a time in my life that I wasn't a part of the church intimately. Wow. So how has your understanding of church been shaped and evolved. I mean, you grew up in it, so you, you like you said, you had this understanding of uh, the role of the preacher and a call to that, but also a part of the body, you know, all that. So tell me a little bit about just your journey in understanding church as a kid, as a teenager, also yeah. called to be a police police officer, and yeah. and then um, and then as you've started doing pastoral ministry for all these many years, working with a variety of churches. So yeah. yeah, just walk me through that journey. Yeah, maybe I'll make the police officer pastor connection first. Cause, okay. Because people tend to get stuck there because they see those as diametrically opposed yeah. to each other in some respects. But it's not, you know, it's really just taking care of people hmm. is the bottom line. You know, as a police officer, when you get that call for help, it is about uh, taking care of the next person, huh. uh, be it. You know, unfortunately, in some cases, removing someone from a home because they've been violent and haven't treated their family well or finding a missing kid or, or catching a bank robber or murderer. Um, and the same in the military. You know, it is um, my role in the military and security forces now as a, as a squadron commander. It's about taking care of people, you know, both the people who work under my command and then also the, the democracy and the country and the way of life that we represent sometimes uh, on foreign soil and places that most people don't go. And so, so that's the connection I'll make there. Mm. Um, the way this has evolved for me, you know, as a kid, you went to church because you were made to go. Although for me, I did, for whatever reason, find it enjoyable. And there was a certain amount of fulfillment that I got from it. You know, in the, in the black community, there's a, uh, there's a saying in one of the old songs, you know, uh, my mother uh, drugged me, right? She drugged me to church. Right, right. Sunday school, you know. So I tell people for us, church started on Fridays. Mm -hmm. Friday night, there's usually some type of singing program. You know, the quartet singing was was real big in, in my childhood. And Saturday night, same thing. You know, and then on Sunday morning, Sunday school started at nine o'clock. And then we'd run to the corner store and buy penny candy and, you know, try to have a quarter left of the dollar that somebody gave you to put in the offer, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and run back and then Sunday or excuse me, church service started at 11 and then we'd grab a quick lunch and then we'd have a three o'clock program. Wow. ETU, Baptist Training Union, a six o'clock and a seven o'clock program. And, uh, and that was just Friday to Sunday, you know. And so for us, the church was this place of community. Oftentimes, 
stronger community sometimes than even your own biological family. Uh, it was a place of equipping. It was a place uh, of mutuality. You know, if you needed help, I helped you. And, and if I needed help, you helped me. You know, we found all of those things uh, in that little church there in South Texas for me. Uh, I think as I came into adulthood, you know, uh, this thing became more personal, but not to say that I always understood it. You know, so I remember getting to my first duty station in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Now I'm 18, 19, been in preaching ministry for a few years, and now I've got to figure this out on my own. You know, and when I say on my own, mm -hmm. I mean apart from all the people that I'd grown up with. Yeah. Right. Now I am an adult. You know, I'm legal. Let me right. say it that way. Right. Right. You know, but now I'm legal and I'm in a new community in every sense of the word, new city, new uh, vocation, in the military, new church, new pastor, new standards, new understandings. Uh, it was just, you know, um, just trying to figure this out, trying to get my bearings, so to speak. Um, you know, and that evolves um, in a lot of different ways over time. Ultimately, I wind up in Denver some time later and, and got called to pastor my first church. Mm. Now I'm late 20s. Mm. You know, um, I started seminary. I, I was in our community. We tend to do first and learn the theory later. Mm. Uh, and so that was true to form for me, you know, so ultimately started seminary. And, and, and now it becomes real personal, right? Because now I have to juxtapose what I've been taught in that little church in Texas, it was because Pastor Kane or Pastor McIntyre said it was. Mm -hmm. As opposed to now, you know, you're in the books and you're learning things academically, not all of those things jive. Yeah. Right? And then I got to show up in the pulpit on Sunday morning with people who are now, now I'm the Pastor Kane and Pastor McIntyre that people are looking to. Yeah. Now I've got to sort out what I learned as a kid versus what's now being uh, pushed on, you know, in, in the academy versus now what I have to represent uh, ecclesiologically in the local church. And so a um, lot of tension in that, a lot of tension in that. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward another five or 10 years, and now things get a lot more personal, right? Now I'm in the military 15, 20 years, 25 years. And now you've got to think of things like uh, evangelicalism. Yeah. White versus black. Yeah. Right. Or uh, now I've got to contend with things like how does how does church marry with patriotism? Mm -hmm. You know, and I realized we've been using a lot of the same words, but meaning different things. Right. So. Again, I don't want to take up all the time, but that's just a little bit about how my journey has evolved. And we can pick on any of those as you wish. Well, what are the tensions? You talked about some tensions back then when you were in seminary and, you know, and how there's been, I think it's just been different tensions. Doesn't sound like they've gotten. What are the tensions you're feeling currently? Ooh, the tensions I'm feeling currently are um, about 10 months ago, 11 months ago, December last year, I resigned my pastorate to enter into the academy full-time and into consulting full-time. And um, and so we decided to merge our church with another local church. Mm -hmm. uh, we were predominantly black, although they had a black pastor, they were predominantly white congregation. 
Uh, and so the tensions that we feel now are around the practice of the Sunday gathering, mm-hmm. uh, around how we define church. I think in the Black community, church is who we are. Mm-hmm. It is very personal to us. That's my family, right? That's not just that's not just my preacher. That's my pastor. You know, that's the guy who's respond in this case who's responsible for uh, giving an account for my soul, right? There's a level of intimacy uh, that we look for. And and I don't know, I want to be careful to say this well, I'm not saying that my white brothers and sisters don't look for the same thing. I'm saying we express it differently. Yeah. So now we're trying to marry these expressions of faith and church and proclamation and worship, you know, in the sense of singing and song selection and and musicianship we're trying to marry all of those things and uh and those are some of the tensions that we're experiencing now wow um so you and i've talked a little uh well i don't know more than a little about this um because you're doing your uh your thesis on um well i'll let you i'll let you summarize what are what's your terms you how if somebody asks you what you're working on right now for your doctoral thesis what do you say (laughs) What I tell people is I'm working on how to help black Christians and white Christians get along. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I guess formally what I'm working on is trying to tear down racial barriers to deepen the sense of koinonia, the Greek word for fellowship, you know, brotherly love uh, in the Christian community of faith. Well, so, and so that's why I want to pull on that thread a little bit. So um, you're doing this in your doctoral work. You're a, a, a black man who's been pastoring largely in the black community. You're now part, you know, a church that's uh, this merge kind of thing. You're trying to get uh, black Christians, white Christians to get along. Yeah. Um, we're all the body of Christ, yet we gather like we all. Yet we also have different cultural expressions, and understanding. So the question I've asked to you before, and would love to do while we're hitting record here, is. Um, there's some schools of thought that are like, um, you know, every church should be integrated kind of thing. You know, like the Sundays are the most segregated, you know, uh, hour Sunday mornings um, of the week in America, that type of thing. Um, but um, and others are saying, no, um, you should be kind of among like culture, all that kind of thing, ethnicity, all that type of stuff. Um, and I think you have a unique perspective. So what do you think about stuff? <laughs> um let me let me start with what I kind of the, the inverse of that. What I don't think is race and culture and ethnicity ought to ever be the reason why we do separate on Sunday. Mornings. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, and this answer is a little more muddy than it would have been if you had asked me a year ago. Right. Yeah. So maybe if you ask me a year or two from now, it may sound different. But in, in all honesty, if you had asked me a year ago, what I would have said is um, there shouldn't be any separation among racial lines and we ought to make every effort to be as culturally, ethnically, racially diverse as we can in any local church, right? Now, um, what I don't think is every church has to be racially diverse. If you're in Fargo, North Dakota, you're probably not gonna build a racially diverse church, yeah. right? So I don't punish people for that. I don't think it's wrong if that doesn't exist. I just think it shouldn't be the that shouldn't be the reason why it doesn't exist, if that makes sense. Now, 
10 or 11 months into this, if I'm honest, I've got more questions now than I have answers to. Yeah. Right. Like I can give you all the biblical verses that suggest uh, that we ought to prioritize diversity, ethnically speaking, culturally speaking, in one household of faith. Right. Uh, We see this on the day of Pentecost. We see it in Revelation at the end of time. We see it in, you know, Paul's writings, no difference between the Jew and the Greek, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we see these tensions that 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 manifest themselves and resolve, you know, in the book of Acts with Hellenistic Jews and, and um, you know, shall we say, uh, regular Jews, right? right. Uh, whatever that means or what they would have considered themselves to be ethnically pure. But that preaches a lot better and a lot easier than it lives. Yeah. Right? And there's a part of me today if I am honest, that's wondering, is it's not inherently sinful. And if we all have different preferences, is it wrong not to fight that fight? Yeah. Is it is it wrong to just say, we'll meet in heaven, but on earth? Okay, I guess this is the way it is. I don't know. Now, I want to be honest and say that's some of my fatigue talking. That's some of my frustration talking. That's some of my reality talking. Um, And I don't have a, it it would be disingenuous for me to try and resolve that in this moment or to give you an answer that's better than that. But it's a struggle. Yeah. If I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You you know, you talked a little bit about like you're merging, uh, you know, praise and worship styles or preaching. I mean, just a lot of the, the, just kind of the practice on Sunday mornings. What about understanding, like you said, black community churches, kind of uh, who you are or family, that kind of, what other um, different perspectives have you, uh, have you come into contact with where you're going, eh, man, wait, maybe we're just coming from different, different yeah. places on this. Yeah. I think probably the most prevalent one, Angie, is we're making a big, bigger deal out of this race and ethnicity thing than it is. Mm. That's probably the most prevalent one. It's just a sense of apathy. This is no big deal. Why are we, why are we spinning our wheels here? You know, just stick to the gospel, preach the gospel. I would contend that this is part of the gospel, uh, but stick to the gospel, preach the gospel traditionally as we know it. Let's not, uh, let's not manufacture something that isn't really a bona fide issue. And so, uh, tell me again, where are you seeing that? Clarify that for me. Uh, I, well, I think I see that from a, a host of people, black and white. Okay. If I'm honest, I get this more from my white brothers, sisters, and friends than I do from, from black folks. But there's a sense of uh, this isn't as big a deal as we're making it, mm. number one. Uh, and, and number two, I also get a sense of, man, I don't want to fight that fight. Mm. You know, that's too hard. Just let it be. We'll figure it out another day. Uh, we've got other things to prioritize right now and good and noble things, right? Not just not just potlucks, but, you know, we've got evangelism and missions and 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 people need to be saved. Like, why are we giving our energy hmm. to this? You know, and so, yeah. Yeah. Um, what about other. Um, uh, let's get back to your definition of of church or your, you know, in progress definition. Cause I haven't, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if I could do it all in one. I, uh, there are certain characteristics I think I could say I'm trying to come at. So tell me like, 
um, and you can you can steal some of the seminary talk if you want to, but like um, if you're preaching this, uh, what is the church? If you're preaching this, what would you tell your congregation? I would tell my congregation that the church is the earthly expression of the divine work of Christ in the lives of humans, by humans, for humans, is what I'd say. That's great. To the glory of God. To the glory of God. So then take it down. What? Real rough. Say yeah. it again. What'd you say? That's real rough. Definition. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Take that down a little bit more, The uh, what our colleague, Dr. Scott Wynne, would call the, um, I think he's called the ladder of abstraction. So what does that look like? What should that look like? What's the, what's the I, vision and imagination for like people going, oh, here's my part? Yeah. I think that looks like um, a group of people who have a deep brokenness about lostness around them. Hmm. That ought to burden us, people who don't know Jesus, first and foremost. Um, and then along the same lines, I think that looks like uh, having, having a deep brokenness about broken people among us, right? Um, in all senses of the word, you know. Um, yes, I think the number one uh, responsibility, if you will, or calling of the church is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. 20. But that isn't just getting people to quote unquote, pray the prayer, right? Um, to make disciples isn't just to make converts. It's to make followers of Jesus, right? Yeah. So to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the lives of not only lost people, but now one another. Uh, and that's hard. It's tedious. It's draining. It's thankless. It's hard. It's long. It's arduous. Um, and I just don't find that most folks want to engage in that. Yeah. To that. Most folks meaning a congregants? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think just us as humans. Yeah. Yeah. We want to come, hear our sermon, give a little money, raise our hands and go home. Yeah. Right. For the most part. Um, that's church is harder and deeper than that. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you, where do you think are the levers or the entry points to, uh, you know, what, how have we gotten here and how do we change that? I, I don't think that's a black and I don't think that's a black white thing. I think that's a contemporary. When you say here, what do you mean? How do we get where? How do we get to uh, this vision of um, move beyond um, sing a few songs, hear a sermon, raise your hands, go home. Yeah. How do we get beyond that? Yeah. How do we get beyond that to like it? Everyday discipleship mattering. Yeah, I think a couple things. Um, and again, this is just kind of off the top of my head. One, I think we have to lose the pursuit of defining successful church as big church. Mm -hmm. Right. So the, the celebrity status of pastors, the Hollywood status of churches. Uh, I I don't think that the church was ever intended to be that. I really don't. And that's one of the things that I've been working on the last uh, two or three years in my own personal journey that has a lot of different arms to it that I won't try to go into here. But one of the questions that's emerging from all of that for me is 
what did Jesus mean when he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very different than most local expressions and aspirations that we see in and around church and around the pastor. Uh, I don't think Jesus's idea was to make me or you celebrity pastors. Mm -hmm. I think this work was supposed to be organic and all the things I said, long, hard, deep, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Because I think that's the nature of what it means to walk with people and walk with other humans, which is the nature of what it means to make disciples. Um, go ahead. You know, no, this is great. I, too, too many questions for me. Like you, I, okay. you know, you said there's so many arms or branches, and I was like, I want to explore them all. But you're right, we don't have time for all of those. And so, and yet we've got, um, uh, you know very institutional, largely institutional understanding of church, at least in America, and um, the the primacy of the uh, senior pastor or the pastor and of the pulpit and um, and of celebrity and, um, uh, you know, white church and, and black church. So how do you dismantle that? Or do you just have to start something on the side, something new? I mean, yeah. you're wrestling it within your own life, but that's a... You're, you're going culturally upstream. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's my most honest answer. Yeah. I don't know how you dismantle that. I think we got to do some things like talk about it. I think we've got to keep teaching and educating one another on what it is. I think we've got to keep modeling our convictions, biblically speaking. Right. We've got to keep living those things and walking them out, not just theorizing them. Uh, we want to systematize everything, you know, and kind of to your part, to your question about uh, you know, what contributes to this? We want to systematize it. Our evangelism is systems. Our, the way we do church, light, lights, camera, action is systems. And, you know, the way we, and I'm not, I'm not knocking that, right? We, we have to have order. I'm just saying when the goal becomes to create a system for the sole purpose to scale it, to make it bigger, I'm just not so sure that was it. Yeah. It's not so sure that was it. Now, I think he wants to make it bigger in the sense of, all of us keep winning people to Jesus, right? Universally, globally. But the idea that, uh, you know, the, the, the mega church idea, I just don't think that was it. So as you continue to, you know, you're wrestling with this and this internal tension, you're also called to be a preacher, right? So, and, um, and you're, I gotta say, you're a fantastic one, you know? So, I mean, but, um, clearly God's called, blessed, gifted you to that. Um, and you've worked on that. So how does, how are you reimagining your, that calling and understanding of preaching in light of a reimagined God will build his church and the culture that you came up with, which is, you know, uh, senior pastor, black senior pastor, what he says, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you can have a lot of, I don't knows cause I don't either. That's what I'm asking you. Yeah. So I don't have to answer them myself. I'm glad you said that. I, I'm not usually afraid of I don't knows, but I felt some fear brewing up because I want to say I don't know. You know, yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad you gave me permission to say. Oh, that for sure. I, you know, you're asking not, the question though, which many people are not. Yeah, yeah. Not much for me has changed in terms of preaching. Uh, that may not be true. That may not be true. Um, probably what I emphasize now is different. Um, I think, I'm glad you asked that question. I think preaching, again, has become about feeding the machine, mm -hmm. what we just talked about, right? 
we learn the right words and phrases and cliches that uh, arouse people in one direction or the other. We've stopped preaching about sin and hell and repentance. Um, and, and we've kind of shaped God after our own image in the ministry of proclamation, hmm. you know? And um, so for me, I guess the way my sheep, my preaching is, is being shaped is trying to go deeper into the biblical text and ask myself and others the harder questions and try to give an honest answer, Yeah, you know, in the reflection of God's word, try to give an honest answer to the questions that the, that the text poses to all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in your, you know, evolving imagination, understanding of church, um, is that still like um, the preaching function? Is that still a proclamation from up front kind of thing? Or like, where where is the line between where it becomes celebrity, like versus pure proclamation of the word? Like, I mean, none of I don't know that any of us set out to say we're going to create this big celebrity culture and platform. Yeah. You know, so how did how do we evolve or how do then we arrest that to not do that? You know, and Tim Kohler and I actually, uh, you know, our friend and colleague um, talked yeah. about um, the response we have followership and how followers have create want the celebrity in a platform. So yeah. there's that piece of it too. So what's your take on all that? Yeah. I think, um, and again, in fear of, in fear of sounding mundane here, this is by no means mundane. I think we need to get back to preaching the word and not preaching the social agenda, the social platform, right? So, uh, and I think about this often. In fact, I've got a three-day revival that I'm preaching this week down in Texas, and I've been I've been wrestling with this, right, in my flesh and my humanity. Uh, and and preachers can say they don't think about this, and if they don't, then they're more mature than I am. But I think most or they're of lying, do, right? Right, yeah. right. Which is who am I going to preach to? And, and what will resonate with them? Yeah. And how will it resonate with them? Right. I've got to resist the temptation to ask myself that question in an unhealthy way. You do need to know your audience and pray through that. And, and there's a place for that. But it can get to an unhealthy place. Right. Yeah. Where you're just saying what people want to hear. Um, I, I've got to resist that temptation and get back to God. What would you have me to say from your word to this group of people, even if they don't want to hear it. And so I think, um, you know, in some communities, there's this big call for preachers to be prophetic, right? And when I say to people, especially in the, the latter-day emergent of all of these, you know, sensationalized titles of prophet and bishop and so on and so forth, is, listen, prophets are not people who are welcome to town. Yeah, yeah. People who say they want to be a prophet. That was an awful life. Man, I mean, it was a life of solitude. It was a life of depression, i.e., Elijah. Yeah, you know, it was suffering, death, stumbling. Yeah. yeah. And so um, when people say that, I just kind of chuckle inside, you know, and then I try to monitor myself to say, um, man, are, are you going, are you falling along those lines that you're indicting, you know, uh, or are you willing to still stand up? Uh, ten toes, flat footed, get into the text and, and give it to people as best you can. And there are a lot of folks out there who do that much better than I do. But the point I'm trying to make is I, I try to come back to, Lord, what would you have me say 
not what do people want to hear, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah. Okay, so, so uh, you know, your early experience of church was, it, it was your family, it was your community, it was a weekend, you know, whole weekend experience. That time. But you and I both know that as we become leaders, there's this separation in some ways necessary um, of where we become more of the, there's a stewardship function, or I, you know, it's like, and yet we need community. And, and even if we're not trying to lord any position or title over others, it's harder and harder to find our own true church in terms of that type of community. I think, at least I've found that. Where do you find community when, when there's this, um, in one sense, you have an uh, elevated position, you know, or calling or responsibility or a different one. Uh, and the other hand, you're not trying to put yourself on a pedestal and you're trying to downplay that. So, you know, and I'm, uh, you know, this up and down pushing and pulling. Where do you find your people? Yeah. For me, it is a, it's a few close friends, probably admittedly the, the majority of them pastors. Um and um, my wife, to a large degree, and I, I say to a large degree, not because I have any desire to hide anything from my wife, but because uh, I also want to try and protect and shield her as well, right? Um, but for me, it's mostly pastors, close pastors, friends, four, five, six guys uh, that I can just be, if you'll pardon the expression, naked with, right? Yeah. That I can just tell the truth of what I'm thinking, feeling struggles, heartaches, temptations, pains, highs, lows. Um, and so that's probably where I find it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from where I sit, which has been largely white church, um, largely, well, I was gonna say Midwest, but lived in the Southern, in Southern Baptist land. But um, also, you know, I've got my degree in leadership. I came up in an era of like the Bill Hybels, the very leadership heavy understanding. And I, I think at least in the white church, we've bought too much into everything rises and falls on leadership, um, not enough of the Holy Spirit or, you know, radical humility. Um, we can try to manufacture results or, or that type of thing. Um, so I feel like that's um, a corporate sin or failing for sure within the white church, buying into this kind of leadership industry um, and viewing the church as a corporation. Is there a similar... Uh, sin in the black church or what's the are there besetting sins or errors in the black church oh sure and what uh, would they be from your perspective yeah and where are uh, they similar and where might they be different yeah well i think one of the things that we all bear in common in terms of failure in this area is as you said we don't depend enough on god's spirit yeah not by might not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I don't think we depend enough on, on his spirit. Um, I think in the black church, because history has not treated us kindly in America, mm -hmm. I think there is a um, unhealthy pursuit in, in an effort to rebuff that, overcome that. I think there can be an unhealthy pursuit for what we think means success, hmm. you know, 
um, money, titles, uh, fortune, et cetera, et cetera. Because historically, we haven't had it, right? And from, from our perspective, we watched our white brothers, sisters, and friends talk about things like generational wealth and pass that on. And even white pastors, you know, to, to a lot of degree, um, you know, we tend to come into the ministry with this sense of calling. Mm-hmm. And when I listen to some of my white brothers and sisters talk, I hear a lot of vocation. Interesting. Yeah. We start to get tempted. We start to go, well, well, maybe that's what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's almost like this crisscross, Angie, you know, um, we start to kind of pursue what we think is looks like success in white folks. And they probably kind of start to pursue uh, what they think looks like something they're missing in us. Yeah. And all of us are missing Jesus, right? right? And it's like, let's just be authentic. Let's talk about our differences. Let's try and make sense of them. But let's let's be faithful to to Jesus and let the spirit lead us. And uh, and I think that's a human flaw, regardless of culture and ethnicity. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what is bringing you encouragement right now about church and ministry, pastoring? Pain. Tell me more about that. Um, I have experienced over the last year or year and a half, maybe two, pain like I've never known it. Mm. Um, confusion in a lot of areas. Which, so so it's like, and I, I hope I can say this in a way that makes sense. Help me, Holy Spirit. It's like uh, the more pain that I have experienced, the more I've also experienced the comfort of God. Hmm. You know, um, all of the things that kind of, I find myself in this place of confusion Somewhere in all of that, God meets me and gives me just a grain of clarity hmm. that uh, that is relieving, that's reminding, you know, of who he is and who I am in him. And so what I tell people is there's a lot of things now that I am unsure about, that I'm working through, that I used to think that I was sure of, that I'm, that I'm no longer, and, and I'm okay with that. One thing I am more sure of than I ever have been is I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand upon the earth at that latter day. I am sure of that hill just outside of Jerusalem where Jesus paid it all. Everything else is up for discussion, but those things, those few things are clearer to me than they ever Mm -hmm. have been in my life. Uh, And that came through pain that came through feeling like I had nowhere else to turn and um, and still in some respects feel that way. Some days it is all that I can do to just get up on two feet, but God is using that. You know, what, what Paul said comes to mind, you know, uh, is his strength is made perfect in weakness. And man, I am weaker than I ever have been. And somehow yet God is, is keeping me. Wow. That's great. And that is completely counter to the narrative we like, which is, I call it evangelical victorious. Yeah. Um, yeah. A, f- a few months ago, I felt like God said to me, I, I have some chronic illness. I felt like God just said, I'm never going to take it fully away because otherwise you're never, you're not going to rely on me every day. Yeah. And that goes against everything we want to uh, want to be true about 
growth without pain or uh, ultimate victory in this in this world, you know, or uh, and I think it can challenge our notion of uh, is God good and all powerful if he doesn't take this stuff away. So I just really appreciate your I, the word that comes to my brutal honesty about yeah. that, because I found the same thing. There's a whole lot of things never want to go through again, but wouldn't trade for the world. Yeah. Yeah, it, um, you know, maybe this would be helpful, but I remember recently, uh, I'll say asking God, because I do believe that you can talk to God and I believe that he does respond, not audibly, right? But promptings, you know, in our heart and our mind. And uh, I was asking, felt like I was asking God, like, why does it have to be like this? Mm. And one of the things I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment was it's those moments of, of pain that God allows and or inflicts that teaches us what we need to listen to. Mm. You know, it's, if it's a, if pain were a paragraph on a paper, or excuse me, if life were a paragraph on a, on paper, pain would be what we, what we put in bold letters. Yeah. You know, and it's like the Holy Spirit was saying, if you didn't have that, you know, if all you experienced was what you just described, you know, the evangelical victorious or victory, you wouldn't know what to listen to or how to listen. Pain teaches us how to listen mm -hmm. to God. And um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, that'll preach and also make people very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, well, I get it. You yeah, know, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Join the club is what I say. That's right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 John, thanks for uh, letting us hit record. As you know, I tell you this all the time. Always love working. I uh, love working with you. Love being able to see you on a daily basis and and. Just your heart and willing to be honest with me and, and you know with other leaders so thank you for all that god bless you Andrew. thanks for having me yeah thanks